Well, good morning. I see a number of faces that are unfamiliar to me. And so my name is Phil. I am one of two pastors here at Richfield Bible Church. Uh, Pastor Brian is usually up here, and he's been leading us through uh, the prophecy of Jeremiah. And so that has been going really well. But today we're going to take a break from that study. And I want us to look at a very important story in the Bible, one that you might know. Let me describe it for you, see if you recognize this story. This is a story of how an angel appeared to a woman to announce that a baby boy would be miraculously born to her and that his birth would be good news for God's people because this baby would be God's instrument to save his people from their enemies. Okay. As you hear that, who is the baby in the story that I just described? And of course, you're all thinking Samson, right? All right, so turn your Bibles to Judges 13. Judges 13. This is our ninth time together in the book of Judges, and today we'll look together at Judges 13. Kids, if your parents want you to have one, there is a related coloring sheet on the chair back by the sound table. Now, the last time we were in Judges, it was actually a long time ago, uh, because of our VBS, uh, it's been about 10 weeks since we were in Judges, so it's been a long time, but if you remember, we looked at the story of Jephthah. He was the judge that is famous not for his victory on the battlefield, but for his failure in believing that God would actually be pleased by a child sacrifice. But Jephthah was not the first judge that disappointed us, and he won't be the last. But the good news for today is that the judge we look at today will not disappoint us today, okay? He will eventually, but not today. All right, Judges chapter 13, verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Verse 2. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. Now, perhaps this is the first time that you've heard a sermon on the book of Judges, or the first time maybe you've read the book of Judges, and you see that word again. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, you mean this has happened, this has happened before? Oh yeah, it has happened many, many times in the book of Judges. In fact, the book of Judges describes this cycle that Israel goes through. Israel begins at rest, enjoying the land that God promised them. Then Israel worships idols, and so God judges Israel by raising up her enemies over her. Then Israel groans under God's judgment, realizing that life was actually better under God's rule, and so they cry out to him for salvation. Then God rescues Israel from the, his judgment, and Israel is at rest again. And then Israel worships idols again. And the cycle just keeps going and repeats itself. But every time, it gets worse and worse and worse. So rather than a pure cycle, it's more like this, this downward spiral. And so we've witnessed this Judges cycle again and again and again throughout the book of Judges. But in Judges 13, we meet the last judge in the book of Judges. And this is our last time around the cycle. 
But this time, the last time around the cycle, it's different. The chapter opens with Israel's sin. That is completely normal. Okay? Sadly, that is normal. And then God judges Israel by raising up her enemies over her. And again, that is normal. But then we go straight from God's judgment to the story of how God rescues Israel. Something is missing. Did you notice what piece in the cycle was not mentioned or described? Okay. Israel, in this part of this time around the cycle, Israel never cries out to God. They never groan under their judgment and ask him to save them. There's no mention of Israel crying out to the Lord for salvation. This is the last time around the cycle, and it's the only time that Israel doesn't ask him to save them. Is that significant? Okay. Well, this pattern of Israel crying out to God is so significant, or so consistent, I should say, so consistent that when the pattern is broken, it's going to be significant. And what, is, what does that mean? Okay. What does it mean when someone who needs to be rescued doesn't ask to be rescued? Okay. What does it mean when someone who needs to be rescued doesn't ask to be rescued? It could be a couple reasons. Perhaps, perhaps they don't feel like anyone wants to rescue them. Perhaps they feel alone. Or perhaps they don't think anyone has the power to rescue them. They feel like their, their enemies are just too strong for anyone to rescue them. Okay? Now, for Israel, we can quickly dismiss both of those options. Okay? Those cannot be why Israel has not cried out. The preceding stories of God's salvation through the judges leave no room for Israel to doubt God's readiness to rescue them and his power to do so. So those cannot be the reasons. More likely, Israel has not cried out to God for rescue because Israel does not see that they need God's salvation. Israel is deceived about their condition. They are blind to their need. Right now, they see themselves as better off under the Philistines than they would be under God, and they prefer it that way. And there's likely a second reason that Israel has not cried out to God, because Israel doesn't like what it would mean for them if they went back to God. Israel has repeatedly turned away from God to idols, and if they cry out to him now, they might have to turn away from the idols and submit again to God's word, and that is something that Israel is just not interested in. Israel does not want to turn to the light of God's salvation. They, they hate that light. They won't step into it because it might expose their darkness, or it would expose their darkness or their sin. Israel knows a lot about God. He has revealed himself incredibly to them, but they don't want to honor him as God or give thanks to him. And so they've become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts have been, have been darkened. But despite this self-induced blindness, and despite the fact they are not crying out to him to deliver them, God continues with his plan to save them. So what's next in God's plan to save this people who don't want his salvation? Look at verse two. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. So in an era when Israel needs to be rescued, we're introduced to a family that needs to be rescued. Manoah and his wife have no children. They can't have children. His wife is barren. Verse 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, that verse is surprising for a couple reasons. Okay? We were introduced to this couple, right? 
this husband and wife. We were given the husband's name, Manoah, but not his wife's name. But then the focus of the narrative is on who? It's on the woman. The angel of the Lord appears not to the man whose name we know, but the angel of the Lord appears, appears to the woman. But then again, in the book of Judges, women have had a more prominent role than in many other books, right? We had Deborah, who was a judge. We had Jael, who killed the commander Sisera with a tent peg. We had the unnamed woman who tossed the millstone and it crushed the head of Abimelech. There was Jephthah's daughter whom he sacrificed. And now we have Manoah's unnamed wife in this story. She's just Manoah's wife who has no children. She can't have children. She's barren. She's, she's been married long enough that you would have expected her to have children. But she doesn't. And on this day, when Manoah's wife is by herself, this angel-looking figure appears to her with a message that she is going to have a baby. Her barrenness is over. Her womb is healed. It will carry and deliver a baby safely, a son. Now, we would expect Manoah and his wife to be really excited about this news. Okay? And maybe she was. But it's hard for us to say for sure because we are not told in the text ever that they wanted to have a baby. In fact, in Scripture, there are six barren women for whom the Lord announces a pregnancy. And in every single other case, there is some indication in the story that a pregnancy was something the woman and her husband wanted desperately. You can think of those other barren women with me, okay? Sarah was the first one, Abraham's wife, the parents of Isaac. Remember how badly they wanted to have a child? Rebecca. Isaac's wife, the parents of Jacob and Esau. You have Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife, the parents of Joseph and Benjamin. And you could count Leah in there as well. She was barren, but she's not the focus of that narrative. You have Manoah and his wife right here, the parents of Samson. You have Hannah, okay, Elkanah's wife, the parents of Samuel. Remember, she's pleading with God in the, in the tabernacle for a son. And then in the New Testament, there's Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife and the parents of John the Baptist. And so when you read these stories of, of barren women, it's obvious in the story that the woman and or her husband really wants a child, and they want relief from their barrenness. But for Manoah and for his wife, no such prayers are offered, no such desires are communicated. Manoah and his wife are fine. They're not crying out to God for relief from their barrenness, just as Israel is fine. They're not crying out to God for relief from their oppressors. They don't want his salvation. But just as God is being gracious to Israel with this plan to save them when, when they aren't looking for it, God is being gracious to Manoah and his wife by giving them a child that they aren't even looking for. But let's look at the rest of what the angel says to Manoah's wife. Look at verse 4. He says, Therefore be careful, and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, no razor shall come upon his head, but the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Okay, so this, this baby boy is going to be special for a number of reasons. First, he will be special because he will be born to a barren woman. He will be a miracle child. Every birth, of course, is a miracle, but more so when the woman giving birth was barren. Second, this baby boy will be special because he will be a Nazarite 
what is a Nazarite? Okay, the term first appears in Numbers 6, which we read earlier when Brian described that or described all the, the legislation around what a Nazarite was. A Nazarite was a person, man or woman, who separated themselves to the Lord. It was not required. It was completely voluntary, but it was serious. To be a Nazarite, you had to make a vow to God, and making a vow to God is always serious. And in that vow, you, you announced how long you wanted to be a Nazarite. There was no, like, default time requirement. You got to pick, okay? You decided how long you'd be dedicated to the Lord in this special way. And while you were a Nazarite, there were a couple things you couldn't do. You couldn't drink wine or strong drink, nothing from the grapevine. You couldn't cut your hair, and you didn't go near a dead body. No funerals. So if you had said, God, I'm going to be a Nazarite for six months, and then two months later, your mom or your dad passed away, you did not go to the funeral. It was not allowed. So the baby promised to Manoah's wife will be special because he will be a Nazarite. But even among Nazarites, this baby is going to be special. He will be a special Nazarite because, as the angel said, the child should be a Nazarite to God from the womb. His whole life is dedicated to God. Now, notice carefully what they said in verse 5. He said, it doesn't say the child will be a Nazarite from birth. It says he'll be a Nazarite from the womb. So you see, this baby boy will be a Nazarite even in the womb, which means that this mom, Manoah's wife, though she is not a Nazarite herself, she has to act like a Nazarite to protect the little Nazarite inside her. This will be a special baby boy for these reasons. And one final one, this baby boy will be special because of his mission from God. He will be God's instrument to start saving Israel from the Philistines, their oppressors. Now remember, Manoah's wife is receiving all this information and she's by herself. Okay? And so now she goes to tell her husband what has happened. Look at verse 6. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Now when Manoah hears this, he has a lot of questions. Remember, it was, it was actually very uncommon in this period of Israel's history for someone to receive a vision or a word from the Lord. Samuel was a judge during the Philistine era, we learn later. And during his days, we are told that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So this is a rarity for God to speak to his people like this. And so Manoah doesn't know who's been talking to his wife, doesn't know who this person is, where they came from, and he has lots of questions. Verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. Verse 9. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Does that surprise you? Okay. Does it surprise you that although Manoah prayed for the return of this man of God, God answers that prayer by sending the angel of the Lord again to Manoah's wife. Okay? Not to Manoah, but to his wife. It seems like God prefers talking to, Man to Manoah's wife over Manoah himself. Verse 10. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, 
the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. So maybe Manoah did not even believe his wife. Okay, maybe he's, maybe he's just making doubly sure. I, I don't want to read too much like belittling skepticism into his question here. Uh, but if he is skeptical of her ability to recognize who talked to her, then the end of the story is all the more ironic and humiliating for Manoah. And we'll get there. Verse 12. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life, and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. All right, so Manoah prayed for this guy to come back, this angel to come back, to get more information, right? He wants to know what's the child's mission, what will be his manner of life. But did the angel of the Lord give to Manoah and his wife any more information? No, nothing. The angel of the Lord merely repeated and stressed what he had already said to Manoah's wife and what she had relayed to Manoah. Verse 15, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please, let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. This is very important. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Okay, whenever the narrator kind of steps in and gives you this statement about something that you could not have observed, it's always incredibly important. Okay. So when Manoah doesn't uh, get any more information, he, he, uh, he offers to prepare for this person, this man, a meal, but the man declines and directs Manoah instead to, to offer the meal to God as a burnt offering. It's not clear why the man uh, declines the meal, but the narrator chooses this moment to tell us that Manoah actually doesn't yet recognize whom he's talking to. And the implication is that, if, that Mo, Manoah should have recognized it by this point. Okay? He should have known who he was talking to. And had he done so, Manoah would not have offered him a simple meal. And so this, this direction for, for offering a, uh, um, excuse me, this direction for an offering rather than a meal is a hint from Manoah that this man is not who Manoah thinks he is, and he needs to figure this out. This man won't give Manoah more information, and he won't eat the food that Manoah has offered him. Look at verse 17. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So this man, this man, won't give Manoah any more information. He won't eat Manoah's food, and he won't tell Manoah his name. It's too wonderful, which means something like too wonderful for you to comprehend. That's a tough text there. So here for, for Manoah is another hint about this man's identity. But again, Manoah misses it. He doesn't understand who this is. Verse 19. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering, and offered it on the rocks of the Lord to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. So Manoah takes this offering that he was directed to prepare, and he puts it on the rock there. And as the offering burns, the flames are leaping up higher and higher. Suddenly this man of God just rises up into the flame and disappears toward heaven, which sounds very much like what happened to Gideon back earlier in Judges. Well, that's, that's all that Manoah can take 
Okay, this happens, and, and remember, according to verse 16, he, he hasn't figured it out yet. Okay? He doesn't know who this is. But now he understands a little bit, just a little bit. Okay? And so he, he drops to the ground with his wife, ready for God to strike them down right there. Okay? He knows this is, this is the end. Verse 21. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. There, see, he figured it out. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering in our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. So Manoah is terrified, okay? They both are. They both drop to the ground immediately. But Manoah, again, he thinks this is it. This is the end of the line. Life is over. They've seen God, and, and no one can, can see God unmediated with complete directness and survive. Okay, remember on Mount Sinai, Moses said, Lord, please show me your glory. And God said to him, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So Manoah's logic here is good unless you take into consideration everything that just happened. Okay? Great logic unless you've been following the story that Manoah has experienced. So praise the Lord for Manoah's she understands way better than her husband. And she reasons quickly to the right conclusion. Why would God accept our offering, tell us all these things, announce we're going to have a baby, and then kill us? That makes no sense. Okay, so she gets it. She sees far better than her husband. Verse 24. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanem, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtal. Now, don't skip too fast between verses 23 and 24. Okay, remember, pregnancies don't go that fast. Okay, there's around nine months between verse 23 and 24. Verse 24 is the fulfillment of all that God has promised so far in this chapter. Okay, this, about this baby being born. This is the, this is the story of how an angel appeared to a woman to announce that a baby would be miraculous, miraculously born to her and that his birth would be good news for God's people because this baby would be God's instrument to save his people from their enemies. This baby is set apart by God from the womb to be a Nazarite. And it's, so it's no surprise that we're told here that God blesses him. And then this baby is going to become a judge and so it's no surprise that God's spirit is on him, as God's spirit has been on the other judges before him. Now, maybe you know a little bit about the rest of Samson's story. And so perhaps our excitement for him, because of that knowledge that we already have, is a little muted. Okay? We know what's coming. But to this point in the story, the rise of Samson seems very promising for Israel. In fact, at this point in his life, he is the most promising judge we have had. This time, God hasn't taken an Israelite and made him or her into a judge. No, this time God has custom made a man from the womb to be a judge in Israel. So in this story, God is, God is raising up an unprecedented Savior to rescue sinners who are blind to their need for his salvation. This is, this is Samson's origin story, okay? If you know about Samson the rest of his life, okay, he has this kind of superhero quality to him, and, and this is his origin story, if you like those kinds of movies, okay? But one day, there will come another rescuer 
whose origin story or birth story reminds us very much of Samson's. Remember how we began today. I said I wanted to tell you the story of how an angel appeared to a woman to announce that a baby boy would be miraculous, I'm struggling on that word, miraculously born to her, and that his birth would be good news for God's people because this baby would be God's instrument to save his people from their enemies. And probably that preview that I've said three times now doesn't make you first think of Samson. It makes you think about someone else. It makes you think about Jesus Christ. I don't believe, as I was thinking about this this week, that there are two birth stories in the Bible that are more similar than Samson's and Jesus' birth stories. Both were announced by an angelic messenger from the Lord. Both were announced first to the baby's mother before an announcement to the baby's father. Both women received this news with faith. And I want to park here for a second. Of course, Manoah's wife didn't respond with like a song like Mary did, as Trisha read earlier. But her response was more like Mary's than Abraham's wife, Sarah, who laughed at God's promise that she would have a son. And Manoah's wife responded better than Zechariah, who questioned the angel who announced the birth of John the Baptist. And as a result, he couldn't speak until the baby was born. And so Mary and Manoah's uh, wife both respond with great faith to the announcement from this angel. Again, the similarities between Samson and Jesus. Both Samson and Jesus were announced with language like conceive and bear a son. Those echoes, you can hear that when you read the stories. Both births would be a miracle. Samson would be born to a woman who was barren. Jesus would be born to a woman who was a virgin. Both babies were set apart by God even before they were born for this. And both babies were given by God for the salvation of his people. There are no two birth stories that are more similar than Samson and Jesus. And at this point in the Samson story, even though we, we haven't read what happens next, and let's assume we don't know what happens next, it's hard to believe that even such an unprecedented judge will be able to rescue Israel in, in all the ways that she needs. After all, the, the angel of the Lord told us that Samson would only begin to save Israel from the Philistines. And so this promise offers hope, but also makes clear that Samson will not be all that God must do to rescue Israel in all the ways that she needs rescue. Israel needs a judge that can break them out of this cycle, this downward spiral. They need a savior who can save them from this blindness to their need and desire for God's salvation. And Manoah is an illustration of that blindness. He is given hint after hint that the messenger is more than just a man of God or a prophet, and his wife sees far better than he does. And yet it takes the visual spectacle of a a person he thinks is a man suddenly disappearing into the fire for Manoah to finally understand something about who is talking to him. But even then, in the intensity of that revelation, Manoah is still blind to God's salvation. After all that he's been told about what God is going to do through his wife, He thinks God's going to kill him. Manoah is like Israel. He is blind to his need for God's salvation, blind to what God has done, blind to what God wants to do for them. Like Israel, Manoah needs the good news of God's salvation. And today, just like Manoah and his wife and Israel, we all need the good news 
of God's salvation. It is not just salvation from adversarial nations like the Philistines, though there will come a day when when Christ's kingdom will bring such amazing peace for his people. But first, God's salvation through the unprecedented Savior, Jesus Christ, this salvation will be from the same blindness that that crippled Israel throughout their history. Our blindness to our need for God's salvation, our blindness to what he's done, our blindness to what he is doing, all through Jesus Christ to meet our greatest need, to save us from sin and death. Now, if you're not trusting Christ's death and resurrection as your only hope for eternal salvation from sin and death this morning, if that's you, I am so glad that you are here with us today. I have really good news for you. Even though you weren't looking for it, even though you weren't asking God to do anything like this for you, God went ahead and did everything necessary to save you from your sin and the judgment that your sin deserves. He did that when he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross as the sacrifice for your sin and then raised him from the dead. And what I want for you today is for God to to open your eyes to the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. I I don't want you to be blind to what God has done for you in Jesus Christ like Israel was blind to God's salvation and like Manoah was blind to it. My prayer is that by God's grace, you would love the light of the gospel and hate the darkness of this world. Repent, turn from your sin, and trust in Jesus to save you. Now, for the rest of us, for those who are trusting in Christ, we are not blind in the same way to our need for God's salvation. We turned from our sin maybe last year, maybe 40 years ago. But we've seen our need. Jesus is saving us from our blindness. But that salvation is not complete until Christ returns to fulfill all of his promises to us. We've we've seen the light of God's gospel in Jesus Christ, and we love it. And the finishing of our salvation is, is nearer to us now than when we first believed, but we are not there yet. And so even now, as people who are are trusting in Jesus, we can be blind to God in our everyday life, blind to our need for him, to our need for his salvation. We can be blind to our, our own need for righteousness or for the righteousness of God's salvation when we when we pridefully look down on or treat with partiality people who sin in ways that, that we would never sin. Don't forget, God loved you when you were still completely blind. Blind to him and his salvation, and while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. We can be blind to our own need for the forgiveness, mercy, and patience of God's salvation when we refuse to forgive those who have sinned against us, or even simply those who hurt us unintentionally. We can be blind to the hope of God's salvation when we let our circumstances here and now be the determining factor in the strength of our confidence in what God has promised for the future. We can be blind to the joys of God's salvation now and forever, spiritual and physical, when we go against his word to get the never-as-good-as-advertised pleasures of this old world. Kids, we can be blind to the comfort of God's salvation when we fear what might happen, forgetting that God let even his own son 
suffer for us. So with Jesus, God will surely give us all things. If God is for you, kids who are trusting Jesus, and he is, then who can be against you? We can be blind to the freedom of God's salvation when we keep obeying sin as if we were still enslaved to it. We can be blind as a church to the obligation of God's salvation when we do not recognize that one of the reasons the gospel was given to us was so that we would give it to others. And so today, the application for us is what it was for Manoah and his wife and for Israel. It is to turn with all of our faith to the light of God's revelation about his salvation. And on on this side of Christ's death and resurrection, the revelation of God's salvation is so much clearer, so much better, so much fuller than what Israel and Manoah received in their day. In Christ, the glory of God's salvation is fully revealed. And the application for us is to repent of of thoughts and actions that, that downplay or ignore the salvation of God in Jesus Christ. It is to worship the one who had a plan long before we were born, long before we had any thought of him, long before we wanted him to rescue sinners like us through Jesus. And lastly, our response should be to embrace wholeheartedly our need for God in everything and to rejoice that he has abundantly provided for everything we really need in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you today for the story of how you raised up this unprecedented Savior in Samson. Thank you for this kindness to Israel and how it teaches us and reminds us of your kindness to us in Jesus Christ to come to our rescue when we did not want it, when we were against it. Thank you for opening our eyes to the light of what you have done in Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd help us this week to trust you, to trust that everything we really need has been provided for us in the salvation that you have promised through Jesus. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.